I was laughing. Yeah, I can laugh at my son. <laughs> now you guys are wondering what, what did he say. Um, we were up there and he goes, ooh, announcement time. I'm like, you're getting excited for announcement time? He goes, announcement time. Time for dramatic stories. I'm like, dramatic stories? Well, he was mentioning, talking about the prayer time. And I thought about that, dramatic stories during the prayer time. And I, I actually love that, whether it's dramatic or not. You know, that's, you know, that's his interpretation. But I love this time because people get to open up their hearts with one another. And pour out their concerns and say, this is where I'm at. This is what God is, this is what I have going on in my life. And I want to bring it before people that, that I know love me. But more importantly, uh, before a father in heaven who loves me and cares for me. And so I just love that this time, I love that, that we as a family, we as a body can come together and, and share authentically with one another. And there's always a, a desire in my heart and I know in the hearts of others for a growing uh, authenticity with one another. To say, this is what I have going on. And not to be judging one another, but to say, hey, let's go before the Father uh, in heaven uh, together. And so uh, I just love that we get the opportunity uh, to do that. And Isaac, thank you uh, for sharing about Africa. And I was uh, taken by that picture of the, the people in front of the church buildings and then the woman who was being baptized. And I thought, that's what it's all about. It's all about the gospel going forth. It's all about seeing those who don't have a relationship with the God of the universe be brought into a relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus. And that's what we all need to be engaging in. You know, we have been given a mission to go and make disciples, to go and share the gospel with people, to see the lost come to know Jesus. And that is not just for, for people all around the world. This is for us here living in West Michigan, living in the Holland, Zealand area. God knew exactly where he was going to put you. He knew exactly what season you were going to be in. And he has put you there to share the hope that you have found in Jesus with people all around you. And uh, I love that we've been going through the book of First Thessalonians. And I, I've never gone through uh, uh, this book. And uh, I would realize this week that this is... Uh, the first letter that Paul ever wrote, first of his letters uh, written in the New Testament. And Paul had come to a town of Thessalonica, and he came, and in Acts 17, we see that he came, and people knew his reputation. They knew that he had, had turned the world upside down for Jesus. Wherever he went, he preached the gospel. He did what we're called to do today. He preached the gospel, and some people came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but also some were very upset at the fact that he was preaching this good news, and he was persecuted in Thessalonica, ran out of town after a couple weeks, actually chased when he went out of town. They, they followed him to his next town in Berea, and they ridiculed him there, but then even when he was gone from Thessalonica, they started to, in that town, in the church, kind of... Uh, throw some doubt on his character, talk bad about him. And so Paul is writing just a couple weeks later to these believers in Thessalonica who had given their hearts to Jesus. Their life was transformed and, and their reputation was growing. They were known for their faith. They were known for their love of one another. They were known that, that they had turned from idols, worshiping worthless idols, to worshiping the one true God. And you see the people in Thessalonica had, had kind of achieved this spiritual maturity really quick. Paul is, like, is, is applauding them for their faith. But here they were, young believers, living in a very corrupt town. Thessalonica was situated on a, a major trade route. There was a diverse population in Thessalonica. 
But along with that, the culture of Thessalonica was one that not only tolerated sexual immorality, but celebrated it because it was a form of religion. And so here they were in this corrupt city. And Paul in chapter 4 is writing to them and saying, this is how I want you to live. Young believers, this is how you are to live your life, your new life following Jesus. And so he writes this. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to be in the first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says this, finally, then brothers and sisters, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrongs his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing all, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I love this, how, how Paul starts off and he says, finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and we urge you. There is this, this real passion in his voice. We're not just asking you, we are urging you to live the life that you're living, but to do it more and more. And these people were off to a good start. I mean, they were, they were, they were sharing their faith. They were known for loving one another. They were walking in purity. They had, like I said, received this, this level of spiritual maturity pretty quickly. And Paul is saying to them, I want you to do this. I'm urging you to do this more and more. And I just think like in our lives... We are all called to follow Jesus, to live wholeheartedly for him in a way that increases the older that we get, increasing day by day, not to become complacent, not to become comfortable in our relationship with the Lord, not to plateau spiritually, but to grow more and more. I think there's a danger in our lives to look in the past and say, you know what? I used to follow Jesus this way in the past. I used to live wholeheartedly for him. I used to sacrifice. I, I at one time lived a life of surrender. The believers in Thessalonica could have said that. They could have said, like, Paul, look, look we're, we're crushing it. We are, are living wholeheartedly for God. But he's saying, I want you, I'm urging you, with a passion in his voice, I'm urging you to do this more and more, to not become complacent in your relationship with Jesus. For then he goes on and he says this, for this is the will of God, verse 3, your sanctification. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. I remember being in my early 20s 
and like really desperately wanting to know what the will of God was for my life. Like crying out to God, God, what is your will for my life? What do you like really, really want for me? I remember going to Ohio and I was uh, at a Christian music festival down in Ohio. It was the middle of July. It was hot. It was humid. I was in this tent with a bunch of other people and there was a person up front who was sharing a teaching on how to find the will of God for your life. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to identify what the will of God is for my life. And I was looking for a specific thing that I wanted the Lord to have me do. Now, I believe that the Lord directs in that way. You can say, this is what I have for your life. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. But here in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, we get the will of God for all of our lives. Crystal clear. Paul is saying, this is the will of God for your life. This is, is what he desperately wants. This is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. When he's, like, when he's praying, sanctify them in your truth, Lord. The will of God for your life, for my life, is sanctification. Now, that, that's a big word. Like sanctification, like that's a, that's a huge word. But the, the, the will of God in your life, in my life, is to grow in Christlikeness. To become more and more like Jesus every day. You know, I thought I was pretty mature when I was back in my 20s. And then I got married. And I remember early on in my marriage, sitting down for uh, a nice romantic meal of mac and cheese. And before the, the meal, uh, I was making the mac and cheese in the kitchen, and we, Cece and I had this small little duplex on the, the south side of Holland, and we're sitting there where I was making the mac and cheese, and, and I don't know how many of you are like me, but how I make mac and cheese, I do not measure everything out. I just throw butter in there, I just throw milk in there, I throw the cheese in there. No need to measure everything out. And I, amen, thank you, Dan, thank you. How many are like that? You just throw it in there. You know, it's, it's close, meh. Sometimes there's too milk, and then you got milk, uh, mac and cheese soup, and it's just like, yeah, it's not good. But once in a while, you knock it out of the park, and you're like, this is absolutely amazing. Um, and I celebrate those occasions. But I remember Cece was very different. And she said, what are you doing? Why are you just throwing it all in the pan and the, or the pot? You have to measure the milk and measure the butter and get exactly right. And that launched into our biggest fight, or our first fight in our marriage. And it resulted, instead of a, a nice romantic meal of mac and cheese, it ended up that night with her sitting in the bathroom, locking herself in the bathroom, me sitting on the other side of the door, and we were having this conversation back and forth. <laughs> now, she hasn't locked herself in the bathroom in a couple years, so we're, we're progressing. <laughs> but I remember in that moment thinking, I am so selfish. I realized... I realized early on, like, I thought I was good. I was so selfish. And then later I was talking to a friend of mine who just got married, and he said the same thing. He said, what, what the Lord revealed to you early in marriage, uh, the Lord is revealing to me how much marriage sanctifies you and changes you. He's like, I thought I was so good, and then I got married, and, and marriage just, wow, there's nothing that sanctifies you like marriage. And then I looked at him and said, just wait till you have kids. <laughs> but this is God's will for our lives. This is God's will for, for each one of us here not to get to a place in our lives where we coast and where we kick up our feet and say, you know what, we're good. And we just sail through the rest of life. No, his desire for each one of us is that we continue to grow in our relationship 
with Jesus, to become more like Jesus. I think Paul is highlighting this, and, and, and I want to press into sanctification this morning. But before I do that, I think we need to pause and look at the word that, that goes along with it, and it's justification. And this is the very foundation of our faith. This is the very foundation of Christianity and the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. Because every other religion says, here's what you have to do to earn the approval of God. Christianity is so different in that we get to receive and believe what has been done for us by God and Jesus Christ. Justification is absolutely mind-blowing. Because justification is all about you and I guilty, having sinned in our life. Bible says no one is righteous. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Justification is coming before a holy God, a righteous God. And because of Jesus, God looking at us just as we have never sinned, just like we have never sinned, that we are pure, that we are holy, that we are blameless. The more I think about justification, the older I get, the more blown away I am by it. See, justification is not just forgiveness. Is it true that you and I are forgiven of our sins? Absolutely. It's the grace of Jesus that covers our sins. But the Bible is clear that because of the blood of Jesus, we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If we are a new creation in Jesus, if we have put our faith in Jesus, we are accepted, we are loved, we are pure before an almighty God. But even more than that, we become his sons and his daughters, absolutely loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, all because of Jesus. And because of that, we can run right into his throne. I wonder this morning, do you see yourself the way that God sees you if you're in Christ Jesus? That he calls you a saint. The church in, first, in Corinth, a different church, they were known for their corruption. They were sleeping with each other. They were getting drunk before communion. And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he doesn't start off by calling out their sins and saying, fix this and fix this. Instead, he looks at them, and he writes to them, and he calls out their identity in Christ. And he says, to the saints in Corinth. Now, we think like, well, they're doing all of this other stuff. But Paul writes and says to the saints in Corinth, because their activity didn't change their identity. Sure, they had things to work on, but their identity was firmly planted in Jesus. And so you and I, if we put our, our identity in Jesus, if we put our faith in Jesus, we are a saint. We are a child of God. That is who you are. That is what you're defined by. I asked my daughter Piper to, to help me. I told her, I said, I didn't know if you were going to be called on, but I'm going to call on her right now. Piper, come on, uh, come on up here. This is my 13-year-old daughter, Piper. Everybody say hi, Piper. She's getting taller and taller. She was born in 2008, November 8, 2008. And I didn't uh, have the pictures up on the screen, but I remember the pictures that we took of this little girl when she was born on November 8, 2008. She had that, that white stuff all over her. She had 11 toes. Yes, 11 toes. She was born with one extra. But I remember looking at her. And just like my other kids, just from the moment she was born, having this, this amazing feeling 
that I would do anything for this little girl. And I loved her so stinking much. And the thing was, she didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. She was just born. And I'm like, I would give my life for her. To the point where you're, you're driving home from the hospital and you see these other cars getting close to you. And you're like, watch out, get away from my kid. Like, that's how much I loved her from the moment she was born. That's how much God loves you. No matter what you've done. It's the beauty and the power of the cross to transform the hardest heart into a child of God. That's the beauty of justification. Now, with a kid, we know that we're justified and that's a point in time. But that begins a lifelong process of being changed, of sanctification. She's 13. The joy of the teenage years. We know and we love to see change in people's lives and in our kids' lives. And I love to see Piper grow and change, and there's so much more. But it comes from a place of deep love. You can go have a seat. And that's where I want to go this morning. Because as we talk about sanctification, it's not like coming from a father who's just like, oh, I'm just going to get them and I'm going to just change them. No, it comes from a deep place of love. And so Paul is saying, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification, your change, your growth. But I don't know about you, but for me, I start asking the question, how does this happen? How do we grow? How do we change? And the first thing I think we need to realize is that we are changed by God. This is not something that all of a sudden we, we come in by grace and then all of a sudden we just think like we got to earn and strive and do all of this stuff to be changed. The first thing that we have to realize up on the screen is that we are changed by God. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God who began that good work is going to continue that work in your life. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is in the business of changing our hearts. God is in the business of shaping us and, and growing us as his kids. It's all his work. However, we can quickly think like, okay, it's all his work. Then we just sit and relax and kick our feet up and let him do his work. No, we can put ourselves in position the best position to be transformed by God. And so that leads me to a second thing. We're changed by God, but we're also changed by Jesus. I want you to look at this verse from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Just a couple pages over. Paul says this. He says, and we all, with unveiled face, that's when we talk about when we put our faith in Jesus, we with an unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is saying, with, with an unveiled face, now having put our faith in Jesus, we are beholding his glory. And as we behold his glory, we are being changed. We are being transformed. And this highlights just such a clear principle that we have to tell ourselves over and over again that we become what we behold. We are changed. What forms us is are those things that consume us. 
Paul is saying, we are be, as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we see Jesus for who he is, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I think of Piper. I think of my kids. This is true in parenting. As they look at your example, as they watch you, you start to see, wow, they're being changed. They're following our examples, whether they are good or bad. They're becoming like us. The same is true when we behold Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, like Hebrews 12 says, we are changed. And for me, to fix my eyes on Jesus, like Hebrews 12 talks about, is all about looking at Jesus in Scripture and having my mind just transformed as I'm, and I'm seeing Jesus for who he is, as the one who is high, the one who is exalted, the one who is lifted up, the one who is holy. And it makes me ask this question of you and myself this morning, what are the things that we are looking at? What are the things that are consuming our attention? God wants to bring about transformation, and one of the things, ways that he brings about this transformation in our lives is as we behold Jesus, as we fix our eyes on Jesus. There are so many things that draw our attention away, so many things that compete for our attention. Are we taking the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and fix our eyes on him? And the scriptures say that when we fix our eyes on him, we're going to be transformed. So we're changed by Jesus. We're also changed by his word. This is how God brings about transformation in our lives. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. Just a little bit earlier than the passage that we read this morning. Paul is, is sharing with them and he's saying, when I came to you in verse 13, he says, I, I, I also thank God constantly for this, that when we re you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And I love this phrase, which is at work in you believers. This, the very word of God, not my words, this book, this, these very words of God, this has the power to change us, to transform us as we go throughout our lives, to draw us closer to, into a relationship with the Lord, to, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. How often are we spending time in the word, getting to know the word? I've become more convinced than ever. We need less of our opinions and more of his. We need less of, of these ideas of, oh, I think this or I think that, and more facts that come directly from the word of God. We need less like, I feel God is like this, or I feel God wants this, to, to more of facts that come from spending time in the word. There is nothing more powerful than this book. You want to know why I believe that? How often does the enemy want to keep us from spending time in the Word? Spending time from just opening and just getting to know the Word. Hebrews 4 talks about the power of the Word. It says this, it's up on the screen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is how powerful this book is, to get inside of us, to, 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 to shape and to mold our hearts. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this, that every, this is, all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness the man or woman of God so that they may be complete, equipped for every good work. How often do we sit and just spend time in the word, saying, God, teach me. 
teach me, change me, transform me. There's one last thing that I believe is the key to all transformation. The key to all transformation. The change that God wants to bring about in all of us. And it's the Holy Spirit. We are changed. We are grown by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so important. And often I think we just, we, we miss it. Ezekiel 36 says this. Talking about the time that we're in right now. God says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about transformation, a Holy Spirit that gives us the power to obey what God has for us. John 16, these are the words of Jesus. Shortly before he went uh, to the cross, he said this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he goes on to say, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The central figure in bringing about transformation in our lives is the Holy Spirit. And this is the beauty of the new covenant. The very fact that God has put his spirit within us. There's a big difference between spiritless Christianity and spirit-filled Christianity. And I have seen people drawn into spiritless Christianity for many, many years. And spiritless Christianity is all about focusing on a list of rules and a list of things that, that we have to do. I mean, Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3 that that way of living brings about, brings about death. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 3, 9, he says that. Spiritless Christianity focused on rules will lead just to death. And in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, and they, they didn't have the power to even obey those rules. As soon as Moses came back down from the mountain, they were sinning, they were disobeying. They didn't have any of the power to obey those rules. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would fall, but go and go away. But in the New Testament, the Spirit comes and dwells in New Testament believers. Spiritless Christianity also focuses on our performance, thinking that we can win the approval of God, saying, God, look at what I'm doing for you. Look at all that I'm pouring out for you. It's all about doing more, striving. And this is exactly what the Pharisees were doing in the New Testament. They thought they could be cleaned up. They could clean up their their appearance and become righteous before God by all that they've done by observing every little letter of the Sabbath regulations and every little letter of the law. And this happens today. There are spiritless believers that feel that they can win God's approval if they just do more, if they just perform. And in the New Testament, there's a completely different way. A spirit-filled believer is realizing that the Holy Spirit has filled us. The very same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us and bringing about transformation in our lives. Being transformed, being sanctified has nothing to do with our effort and saying, oh, we got to strive harder. It has everything to do with responding to the Spirit's work in our lives. Having a heart that is soft towards the Lord. So what does this look like? Well, let's just take the word, for example. It's sitting with this powerful book, sitting with the word and inviting the Holy Spirit into a time of sitting with the word. 
and saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me through this book, through your word. And when I do this, when I sit in my chair and I'm reading through a passage, I am blown away when all of a sudden just a verse kind of pops off the page. And then I'm like, okay, God, what do you want to say to me through this? How do you want to fill me through your word? How do you want to change me through your word? I invite you this week. I mean, there are so many things that are pulling us away from this, but I invite you this week, sit and be transformed by the word. Invite the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Guide this time. Show me what you want to show me. And you will be amazed at what happens. This past Wednesday night at the men's group, we were talking, and there were a couple guys who just said, I had gotten away from spending time in the Word. I had not spent time in the Word for, for a long time, and so I just, was, I just was kind of down and out and discouraged. But then I spent time in the Word and invited the Holy Spirit into this time, and all of a sudden, boom, things happened. And it's not coincidence. Because God says... When you invite the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, like he's going to show you. He's going to lead us. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the ways that the Lord wants to bring about transformation in our lives, are we paying attention when all of a sudden we, we say something or we do something and there's this conviction inside of us? That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. We should celebrate every time the fact that we're, when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin. We should celebrate that because it's a loving God, a loving Father who wants more for our lives. I think back to a couple months ago, and I shared this with restoration people. I had said something at a public gathering that we were at, and later that day, I just was kind of convicted. Like, I shouldn't have said that about a brother of ours. And so I shared with all of you, like, that was a sin in my life. I kind of teased this guy, and I, I shouldn't have. I look back at that time, and that was a spirit prompting me, and the freedom that came as, as we confess, and we repent, and we move on. That's a sp the spirit of God lovingly changing us, but also the spirit changes us and grows us as he stretches us, because there are times where we have these crazy ideas, these crazy thoughts, like, I need to go pray for that person, or I need to go tell that person about Jesus, and we get freaked out, but it's the Spirit urging us, calling us into more, and I wonder how many times have we grieved the Spirit when we didn't step out in faith and say, I'm going to go pray for this person, I'm going to go have the conversation, and that's why I love the prayer time that we have engaged in, you know, for those of you who are here from Bethel, this is not, this is not something that we started restoration you know, with in mind, it was one Sunday when we're like, hey, let's just pray together. Instead of just sharing these requests and then praying about them at, at some other time, let's you know, pray for them right now. Let's gather them, gather together and pray. And there were people, because I've heard it, there were people that were so nervous and so uncomfortable by that. But as we've done that over the years, there still are some people that aren't comfortable enough, you know, comfortable praying, and that's fine. The Lord's working on all of us. But there are many who said, wow, I have grown as I have been stretched. And it's the Spirit leading us in that. The truth is, bottom line, we have a Father who desires each and every one of us to be changed. He loves us so much. He wants us to be changed into the likeness of Jesus all throughout our lives. Why? And I won't get into this in every detail. 
We see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, so that we would live different lives. Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, here is the culture that you are living in, a culture that is, is celebrating sexual immorality, a culture where there's divorce is rampant, a culture that is, is so obsessed with sex. And I read that, and I'm like, that's kind of like today. And Paul says, I want you to abstain. I want you to be different. I want you to live a life that is pleasing to God, that is glorifying him in every way. I want you to be different. And too often, the church, the people of God, don't look any different than the world. And I believe Paul is telling us today, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is telling us today, I want you to be different. I want you to grow in Christ-likeness. The question is, are we open to the Holy Spirit being at work in our lives? Are we open to the Holy Spirit changing us? Coming from a place of, of love and not of guilt and condemnation. But a place of love saying, I have so much more for you. And so I want to invite the worship team to come up. And they're going to play softly. And this is what I want you to do. It's all about our hearts. It's all about our hearts being soft before the Lord. And so I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to search your hearts, and I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to show you areas of your life where you need to change, where he wants to grow you. And maybe you've never done this. I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me what needs to change in my life. Show me where you want to grow me. And the beauty is, we get just to respond. This is the work that God wants to do in us. And so I just invite you right now, with your eyes closed, just to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, show me where you want to grow me. How do you want me to change? What areas of my life need to go? Perhaps thank him for being a loving father that longs to give you more and more. Invite the spirit to transform you.